Realtor.com is making a stand for buyer representation, and you can too. Join Realtor.com in sharing the list of 111 things buyer's agents do. Visit Realtor.com slash buyer agent toolkit to help spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. And so relationships equal revenue. And so for our agents, how they build relationships and create revenue for not only themselves, but for their families is by prioritizing and executing. And the only way that you can create those priorities and execute on them is when you have a plan. Don't get caught up in perfecting priorities because when you perfect priorities, you're going to miss the success formula, which is just do it. I want people to just do two things. I need them to make calls and connect with people and set appointments. I'm not trying to overcomplicate it. I need them to know that if they act on those two items and that they're consistent in doing that, they're going to see a lot of success. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Belt, Editorial Director of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they learn navigating this ever-changing industry. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds in real estate about leadership, business growth, trends, and strategy. I'm your host, Tracy Velt, Senior Director of Data and Content for Housing Wire. And today, I would like to welcome a Real Trends The Thousand um, team leader, Jonathan Spears. He is with Spears Group of Compass in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. And the Spears Group ranked number 16 medium-sized teams by sales volume on the Real Trends and Tom Ferry The Thousand rankings. So welcome, Jonathan. Tracy, thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, so thanks for coming on. And I just want to start out just to give our audience a little background on your team. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your team, how many agents you have, and kind of the niche that you focus on, because I believe you're in the luxury market there. So. Yeah, we are. So my team, Spears Group, we're located in Northwest Florida. And so Northwest Florida, we sort of coined the Hamptons of the South. So we serve these beautiful luxury markets that are architecturally significant. And then I'm biased, but we're on some of the most beautiful beaches in the world, which you can kind of see behind me. I, I didn't intend for that, but it worked out well. Um, I've got 13 agents, and over the last two years, we've sold roughly a billion dollars in sales volume. So very productive area of the United States. I'd say we're really in one of the most explosive markets as far as um, you know, luxury real estate is concerned. One of the more unknown markets to areas like the Northeast. And so we serve typically um, the southern five states that, that are uh, most productive in terms of business, which is typically Texas, Tennessee, the Carolinas. Georgia, um, and Alabama. So we're just thankful. We're thankful to be here. Yeah, great. Um, and I want to, one of the things that I know you do really, really well is kind of organize your business um, to ensure your success. So talk to me a little bit about how you kind of, I know you have a training. We'll talk about that series later, but tell me a little bit about how you came to where you are right now and how you organize your business for success, no matter what the market. Yeah. So like a lot of the listeners out there, I think any of us that are running a team, we started as a single agent and we likely started on someone else's team. And so for me, I got a real estate license at the age of 18. So that was, that was kind of like my big birthday present to myself. 
What was funny is when I was 18, I was a junior in college. So I started college early. I was very entrepreneurial. And my parents had a house that they needed to sell. And they're like, listen, if you go get a real estate license, we'll give you an opportunity to collect a referral fee on it. And I was like, referral fee? This sounds great. And so I went and got my real estate license. And of course, I was interested in real estate, but um, I thought I wanted to go off to maybe an Ivy League school and study international business. And at the time, which this was 2010, we were still kind of clawing our way out of what we call the Great Recession. And so international business schools weren't widely available. Um, there just wasn't a whole lot going on economically. And so I chose to focus here uh, in this market and really try to start a career that um, I could have some longevity in, especially coming out of school at a very early age. So it sounds like, I mean, unlike some, you know, some team leaders or even individual agents, you went into it with an idea that you're building a business, that you're, this isn't just a, a job or a career. This is a business that you're building. Correct. Um, so what are some of those early things that you did to really kind of reinforce that? You know, it's so interesting because I talk with my team today about kind of the reactive and proactive approach to real estate. And if you were in Northwest Florida in 2010, Northwest Florida in 2010 was about to experience a natural disaster that nobody could have predicted, which was the Gulf oil spill. And so you kind of had this live camera on CNN pumping fear into the minds of second homeowners who either owned at the beach or were thinking about owning at the beach. And if we were to look back from today, that was probably the most opportune time to buy real estate. And um, for me, it was an opportunity to get into this business and solve problems. Um, on the luxury end of the market, typically we're managing egos and personalities. And the problem solving may be a little different than what it was back then, which was trying to make sure we can make two ends meet. And so transactions were very infrequent. Uh, the market velocity of sales was very infrequent. And so I had this opportunity to kind of get in and choose one of two ways. Am I going to sit around and wait for my phone to ring? Or am I going to jump in there and be proactive, which includes cold calling and um, trying to get into a, a specific farm market. And so I gravitated to the luxury end of the market and I had an opportunity to kind of work with somebody who was selling foreclosures on a team. And so part of being on that team allowed me to have some reactive opportunities and then take some of those opportunities and proactively prospect the clients I wanted in the area of the market that I wanted. That makes a lot of sense. And definitely um, foreclosures were the place to be at that point. So yes, uh, they were. yeah, definitely. Um, and so you track a lot of um, KPIs or key, key performance indicators, and you also train on that. So what are some of the metrics that you track and, and how, where are you getting the information? How are you pulling it and organizing it? And like, how did you build the system to do it? So I'd love to say that our system is super complex and proprietary, but I'm going to give you guys a little secret. It's not. And so what I tell my team is the two KPIs, those key performance indicators. And let me just back up a little bit from a macro lens. Anybody that's listening, anybody that's running a business, it doesn't have to be in real estate. It could be any business. When we think about what is our number one priority as a business owner? A lot of people say, well, we got to make relationships. We got to make the customers happy. And I'm like, well, what if you have no relationships and no customers? Like, what's your priority? Just raw priority. And that's going to be creating revenue. And so relationships equal revenue, but every single aspect of your business goes back to that revenue generation. And so for our agents, how they build relationships and create revenue for not only themselves, but for their families 
is by prioritizing and executing. And the only way that you can create those priorities and execute on them is when you have a plan. And so I always tell my team, like, don't get caught up in, in like perfecting priorities, because when you perfect priorities, you're going to miss the success formula, which is just do it. Phil Knight was brilliant when he came up with that slogan for Nike. I mean, it's a slogan that, that can be heard around the world with every business owner, because if you go back to the inception of every great business, somebody there just did it. They had a wild, crazy idea and they acted on it. And then they sold others on coming and joining them. So um, with, key, with KPIs, key performance indicators, I want people to just do two things. I need them to make calls and connect with people and set appointments. I just need those two things. I'm not trying to overcomplicate it. I don't need some you know, serious system of accountability per se. I need them to know that if they act on those two items and that they're consistent in doing that, they're going to see a lot of success. And so how do you, do you track that? Do you go, do you tr- yes. like have meetings with them? Do you have accountability? Talk to me about that. We do. So we typically have KPI groups. So I think that a great number of people to be in an accountability group of sorts are really a group where you're able to share what's working, what's not working, and you know how can we overcome it is a group of three to four people. And so for our team, we break people in, we break these groups into three individuals and um, you know, let the synergy begin. And that also creates collaboration because when people discuss like, hey, this is what we're working on, they ultimately collaborate and they can share ideas, share success, failures. We tend to learn a lot more from failures than we do people's successes. So that's kind of the beauty of accountability. And as far as tracking goes, we've built an internal tracking system. There's ample third-party systems you can leverage that are, you know, $30, $40 a month that, you can have come in and track your business. But for us, what we found is tracking it through um, our own proprietary documents, helpful internally. And then we have a leaderboard each week that we can show our team. So the team can see, hey, this is where I'm at. This is how I'm stacking up compared to the rest of us. And like we mentioned at the beginning of this call, real estate agents are pretty darn competitive. And so that competitive advantage comes out. People can see what they're doing compared to what the market's doing, the market being their team. And they can choose to strive for more or they can pat themselves on the back and say, you know what? I feel like I've done a great job. So I can already hear um, brokers and other team leaders saying, how are you making those the meet? How are you setting these accountability groups? Because, you know, it's one thing to say that's what you want to do. And I think it's a fabulous idea. I've never heard of someone actually organizing it that way. Um, Implementing it is a little more difficult because you, you know that there's you know, there's all kinds of dynamics there. So what are, what are some of your tips for making that type of a system work? Well, I think number one tip is culture, because if you don't have a team that's bought into that process, then you're not going to have any KPI groups. You won't even have KPIs. You'll have typical salespeople who go around and they're just trying to, to throw noodles at the wall and see what sticks. I always tell my team the most dangerous thing you can do, especially as somebody who is now in control of your own business is throw a net that's way too wide. So you cast this wide net and then what? You get lost, it's like a deer in the headlights. And what happens to a deer that's staring at headlights? It probably is gonna get hit. So that goes back to the action piece of like, just do it. And so when I talk to other brokerage owners and I talk to other big teams about, hey, how are these KPI groups working? Simplicity is key. We start to overcomplicate a process, people aren't gonna do it. 
you know, they're just not. And so that's why I say track two things, how many calls you're making, how many contacts you're connecting with in those calls, and then ultimately setting appointments. The goal of making a call is to add value to somebody's life. If, it, if there's not a mutual end of value, and this is what I told my team today, we had our team meeting earlier and we were talking about when we persist and we pursue clients, I want them to feel pursued and I want them to feel valued. Like what, what's the treasure at the other end of this, of this, you know, rainbow? Like why, why are we, what's this mutual connection and what's the value you're bringing? You don't just, this isn't a call center where you just make calls and make calls. It's like, okay, how are we going to make valuable contacts and build a sphere of influence that's going to be a well for us to draw from and to benefit from for the rest of our life? It's purely building those relationships. Um, so let's talk about your training series. You built a whole training series for your agents on your team. Is it is it more like a video series? Is it an in-person series? Yeah. What are what are you doing with it and how did you organize it? So I basically built a TED Talk series, right? And I, I really was birthed out of this sort of idea of, okay, how did Jonathan Spears at 18 years old, baby-faced and all, create a multi, multi, multi-million dollar business that's still pumping out today and only growing. And how did that consistency and how did that success, um, you know, dial in to the point where anybody, if they follow this process, can do it? And so that's where I started. And I was really just trying to, to dig back deep. I think we talked earlier about, so what were you doing in the beginning? Um, Jeff Bezos has this wonderful concept, very simple concept about the day one mentality. And it's just that simple. It's like any entrepreneur that's on this phone call who's had success, they typically go back to that mindset that they had when they started. Anytime they get lost, it's almost like an anxiety that entrepreneurs carry with them. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing the things I should be doing. And this internal clock resets me. And um, I think for me, like the whole core of creating an education piece was that I could share a practical way for an agent to follow the trajectory that I followed to create a business for themselves and also leave enough room in there for that individuality to come out, which is ultimately the key to people's success. The secret sauce is you. Absolutely. And um, you, you mentioned a couple different leaders. So I want to throw this question out at you. Who, yeah. um, what are you listening to? What are you reading? Um, it sounds like you're, you, you do a lot of that based on, on some of the things that you've said, because I've read some of the books that you've pulled from. Um, yeah. So who, Nothing who's new is influential? Under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so I love, love, love. So the very first book that I try to indoctrinate our agents to is Ninja Selling by Larry yeah. Kendall. I know all of us have heard about Ninja. Ninja is one of those books where it's like you could have shelved it. You read it five years ago. You shelved it. You memorized it. You added certain principles and practices to your business. And then I may open up to chapter 10, right? Just random. It's like opening up just random chapter. And that chapter starts to inspire me. And I start to read it in a whole new way. It's one of those books that continues to evolve and, and sort of live with us. So um, Larry Kendall, Ninja Selling, that's a must. Um, right now, I'm in the middle of extreme ownership which is a Jocko Willink book. Um, in fact, the, the chapter that they have about prioritizing and executing is something that I taught my team on today. And then they also go into what decentralized command looks like. And so a lot of the brokerage owners listening, they understand that like there's no, you know, there's, there's no society that their business works in where they don't have 
a decentralized command where the people in their organization can can war can basically report up the chain of command and have the same outlook and the same influence and the same impact on their company top down. And so there's just a lot of different um, different things I'm studying, but you know, obviously with our team and the education of our team, we, we really try to focus on the sales principles, but there's great books out there. I'm, I'm just thankful to, uh, to have a couple of good ones to quote from. Yeah, I, you, you sound like you do a little of the 4DX or the four disciplines of execution with kind of the accountability partners and the leadership board and like pulling from a bunch of different sources. Um, I've never heard of that, that one. I'm going to have to check that out. Oh, you're going to have to check that one out because you're doing some of the things that they talk about. So I love um, it. Definitely check And it out. did you go through the Ninja Selling program? Mm -hmm. So yeah. so I did. Actually, Larry's become a friend of mine. He's a wonderful yeah. friend, great mentor. And we yeah. met after, you know, sort of going through their installation. And I did this years and years ago. And a lot yeah. of what I found that he teaches are, are principles that I had from the beginning, which we're not a bunch of salespeople. We are relationship-based advisors. And so if I talk about how our number one priority is revenue, revenue only comes from great relationships and they have to be authentic, right? You can be transactional and you can get by, but if you want to have that fulfillment in your business, you want to have those priority relationships that they're real and that you grow with. Yeah. And I think um, Larry's been a longtime friend of Real Trends, so we know him very well. He's spoke at several of our events and yes. um, most of the Real Trends um, staff at the time before it was acquired by Housingware had gone through his installations and in that as well. So, um, and you talk about relationships. And I think one of the things that I found interesting at a recent conference I went to is that a lot of agents were saying, I understand, I need to reach out to my sphere. I need to build these relationships, but I don't know what to say to them. I don't know how to do it. I want to be authentic what do I do? How do, do I just call them? Do I meet with them? Like, what do I do? So what, what is your opinion on that? What are your recommendations? What have you learned through all yeah. of this? Well, I'll give you a little tidbit on the training that I do with our team. When I talk to our team about their business, I talk to their, I talk to them about their database in terms of time. You have past clients. And if you don't have past clients, you're brand new in this business. You have a sphere of influence. The, the barista at your coffee shop is your sphere of influence. I mean, the, the head waiter at your favorite restaurant in town, that's in your sphere of influence. You start there. That's like ground zero. So I go from past to present. What current clients do we have? So many agents quit prospecting their current clients. A lot of people, they said it and forget it. Okay, great. I got under, got under contract. Let's give it to the transaction coordinator. And then they, they ultimately lose relationship by doing that. And then you also have this opportunity. This is one of the few businesses in the world where I am one call away from somebody that's going to change my life. And those are those future prospects, those people that you want to be in touch with. So when I think about prospecting, I'm going past, present, future. How do I dig into my sphere of influence? And my future prospecting is simply just picking people that I want to put in my SOI. Like these are, these are my newfound friends, my great relationships. So if I'm an agent that, that doesn't even know where to start, like maybe I'm just trying to ramp my business back up or I think the pandemic created bad habits with agents. It just did, right? We had business that was a little too easy for a lot of us. And so ultimately we gave up on some of the things that made us successful in the beginning. And so picking up the phone and just starting with, hey, how are you? Genuine connection. Hey, how you doing? 
and just going from there, asking about their family, asking about what's going on. In Florida, I love to talk about the weather, especially, you know, this time of year. And Tracy and I were kind of bragging on our fall weather. It's pretty good. And so that's those are true, authentic ways to reach out to your customers. If you call somebody and you're just like, do you want to buy? Do you want to sell? I mean, it's just people smell commission breath and it stinks. And so if you're if you're an agent out there right now, let's just say you're hungry. Let's say the market's not doing what it had been doing. What you were doing yesteryear that made you successful isn't working today. You've got to adapt. The best way to adapt is by building authentic relationships. It truly is. It's the only way that you're going to move forward and succeed in this market shift. Yeah. And I think, well, and of course, Ninja Selling teaches the whole Ford method as well of, of yes. communicating with people. But I think that's what they struggle with the most is those authentic conversations. They go immediately into, um, hey, do you know anybody who wants to buy or sell? And mm -hmm. I I was saying on another podcast, I have a friend um, who is just an acquaintance, not necessarily a friend, but our kids went to school together and he's a real estate agent and his assistant called me on my business line and asked if I knew anybody who wanted to sell or buy. And I'm thinking, why are you, you know me? Like, why would you have your assistant call me and ask me that? You know, so it immediately kind of turned me off because- You go from like a raving fan to, right. to offended. Yes. I mean, that's the best way to, that's the best way to lose a yeah. client. Yeah. Now, if she would have said, you know, I'll make up the name, Stanley asked me to give you a call. Um, you know, he, he wants to see how you're doing and we, we can schedule a couple minutes to talk to him. That would have been great. I would have like yeah. totally got on the phone with him. Um, but yeah, that didn't happen. And I think it's like a really important lesson for agents that are really confused about what to say is be yourself. If you're not the person who wants to meet with people, if you, you know, I mean, there are introvert real estate agents. Um, if that's coffee, isn't your thing then, you know, come up with some other thing that is your thing. Well, here's the thing. Most people, the thing, no pun intended, most people lose sight of the fact that the only reason that somebody's working with them is because they like them. They care about them. When you put yourself in a position to, to, for somebody to have empathy towards you, like, hey, I'm starting to trust this person. I'm starting to care about them. Like, I'm invested in them. It's why social media has gained so much traction is people feel like they're getting a veil into somebody else's life. And then this crazy thing happens. They start getting intrigued and they get drawn in and then they get interested. The best social media pages are the ones that keep you returning. Why? Because you're intrigued. You're interested. That's exactly how you build a sales business. You need people to buy into you. The only difference between you and the number one agent in the market is they built trust. They've built people that care about them. That's what, that's the goal. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to switch gears to a little more serious uh, conversation. Obviously right now, as we record the um, Sitzer Burnett class action commission lawsuit case is in trial. And um, I wanted to know, like, if you've changed any practices, are you using buyer representation or buyer broker agreements? Um, it sounds like you do I don't know. I, maybe I'm wrong, but it sounded like you do more listings than you do buy, but you probably do both. Um, so talk to me about what you're doing, if anything, um, just in, in anticipation of just being more transparent in general. Yeah, I think for us, we're so fortunate. Um, Robert Refkin's a good friend of mine, and I feel like he does a great job keeping Compass in the loop 
on what's happening as far as the global, um, you know, sort of best practices and things that are coming down the pipeline. And I think for us, there's always been a best practice of trying to get a buyer brokerage agreement. Florida is a unique state because everybody's an implied transaction broker. And so you're not required to, to share the representation status. Most buyers don't even know what that is. And so we get this opportunity to educate them. And there's also this opportunity to really create professionalism around the service that you're providing. One thing I will say is buyer's agents are so valuable. The agents on our team that are exclusively working with buyers, unbelievably valuable. They're the ones putting in these miles. They're the ones helping every buyer figure out what is it that they really want. And the best ones the, the ones that, that are just knocking out of the park, they're, they're representing some of the most exclusive deals in the world, are people that pride themselves on building incredible relationships. And they're able to really get deep with their customer. I mean, we're wearing hats much beyond real estate. You know, you're connecting them with an amazing attorney. You're connecting them with the best schools in the area. You may be, put, you know, putting them in preferential seats in those schools. I mean, there's just so many things. And I think, you know, the idea of, of maybe bypassing a buyer's agent is hard to get my mind around because there's just so much value there. And, um, you know, we'll obviously see how this all plays out, but I think best practice in general is for buyer's agents to treat their job as professionally as possible and to position themselves with buyer brokerage agreements, which puts them in that immediate advisor role. Yeah. I think that, um, one thing that the entire industry has to get better at is showing their value. And in a market like the pandemic where everything, I mean, obviously there was a lot of value when you're handling multiple offers and yep. you know, you're kind of weeding through all of that, but I don't think that, um, you know, buyers and sellers actually see some of what you're doing. And, and I talked to another, another, um, top agent the other day and she said, yeah, you know, I think we have to get better at communicating like, hey, I'm just giving you an end of the week update. We had these issues. I solved them. We're good to go. Like letting them know all of these things happened that you didn't even have to deal with because I solved those problems. Um, and you know we what they say. Better at that. They always I say they, some yeah. wise men that I've talked to like to describe that as if a tree falls in the forest and nobody ever sees it, did it ever really happen? Yeah. And there's so many things we do, especially as professionals that want to make sure that our process is seamless. There's white glove service. Sometimes a white glove service is making sure your clients know what you are doing for them. Maybe yeah. a little extra work, but I love that. I love that as part of a process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just showing showing your value is so yeah. important. Um so my last question is just kind of what trends are you seeing in real estate that excite you? And maybe it's with AI or maybe it's um, just something in your market. Uh, you know, what what really excites you about real estate coming up in the next year or so? I love this question. And I think most people, the way they'd answer it is maybe a technology. AI is fascinating and AI is going to create shortcuts for us. I think back to the days of Larry. Larry Kendall was telling me some amazing stories about the 90s, right? I was born in the 90s. And he's like, hey, we had flip books. We basically had a phone book for real estate. We had to go down to the library to get the listings and update our listings. And I'm thinking, think about how technology has made our business so much more accessible for entrepreneur, entrepreneurs across the world. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so AI is exciting because it'll make our business more accessible and um, it'll allow people to be so much more efficient. 
But what I'm most excited about in the short term is that there's going to continue to be a market reset. Agents are leaving this business at a very rapid pace because the velocity of sales has slowed down so much. And I think the opportunity to adapt in this market is one of the greatest resets we've seen in the last two decades. I haven't seen anything like this since I started in this business in 2010. And it's a very, very different uh, financial environment. It's a very different regulatory environment. And so I think those of us who are willing to adapt, that are willing to really get back, this is so cliche, but getting back to these basics of relationship building will be able to generate market share in ways and in uh, capacities that we've never been able to do before. And so that's what I'm excited about. And I'm fired up for all my agents to do that as well. Yeah, and that is so true. And we've done studies at Real Trends on that, um, you know, looking mostly with brokers, not with teams, but looking at the ones that grew through the Great Recession um, and just kind of what their secrets were. And, and the fact is, is that they, well, first were financially healthy to begin with, but second, they were willing to take risks to grow. And they took advantage of the market to do that, to grow their market share. And it's the same with teams. It's the same with agents. Um, you know, if you stick it out and you really get down to business and you work hard, you're going to end up really like killing it and being prepared for the next market once it, once it turns around. That's so true. Yeah. And it's ultimately invest in yourself, right? Like, you know, yourself better than anyone, especially when you're operating in your authenticity, that's the best place to, to invest time and resources. Well, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining Real Trending. We really appreciate all of your authenticity and um, opening up to us about your business. So thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tracy. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. And we will see you next week with more news and insights.